Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I don't think there's any way to scale up unless you have people on your team that you absolutely trust to do something, to answer any question or do things in your absence. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes time and it takes time to find those people. But once you do, it makes uh, so much more, you're so much more able to do more. Hi. I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hey guys, it's Rach. Welcome to another episode in our Mastermind series. This is where we take a single topic like mindset or health or goal setting, and then we pull from six plus years of the best teachers, the best guests, the best wisest, smartest voices on a particular subject. And today, we are making something exclusively for those of you who are small business owners, you've got a side hustle, you've got a big business, or you're dreaming about being an entrepreneur, this episode is for you. And I'll be honest, when I suggested the particular guess for this episode. One of the younger guys on my team came back and he was like, oh, I'm so excited for that episode that we're doing on female entrepreneurship. And I sent him back a note in Slack that had like a lot of those clapping emoji hands that said, there is no such thing as female entrepreneurship because we don't call anything male entrepreneurship. 
So just because the guests and the teachers and the badasses in this episode happen to have a uterus, that doesn't make this a female entrepreneurship conversation. It just makes it a conversation of business leaders who have done incredible things who happen to be women. So that's why we're bringing you a mastermind today from some of the best. We've got Liz Lambert, who is the founder of Bunkhouse Hotels. She went on to sell that company and start another luxury brand. She's so amazing. She started her company by buying this tiny little motel. She had no idea what she was doing and slowly turned it into a hospitality empire. She's known for her aesthetic. She's known for creating a vibe and a culture and... Uh, you're just going to love it. We're also going to talk to Joy Cho, who started as a graphic designer and a blogger and now has lines at Target and everywhere you can possibly think of doing her unique brand of style. You're going to hear from Lisa Bilyeu, who alongside her husband Tom, built Quest Nutrition that they sold for a crap ton of money. That's rude, but it's true. They did sell it for a lot of money. You're going to hear from me. 20 plus years of being an entrepreneur, starting as an event planner, becoming a blogger who did paid advertising and eventually became an author and a producer of conferences, a producer of TV shows, a podcast, like all the things. I hope at this point, you know me. And lastly, you're going to hear from Coco, who is a really rad influencer who found a way to monetize being an influencer in one particular city. I think nowadays, when people want to be an influencer, they think that they have to have a global reach, which would be great. But Coco is such a good example of someone who focused on her local community and made an incredible business around it. So that's who you're going to hear from today in our Mastermind series. I hope you love it. If you dig it, please share it on your social. Please share it with the other entrepreneurs in your life whatever their gender is, and help them to also hear some wisdom that might give them the supercharge they need today, that might help them take their business to the next level, that might give them a little bit of motivation that is exactly what they needed at the exact moment that you showed up in their feed. So this is our Mastermind Series on Entrepreneurship. Enjoy. I learned early on how what it was like to design and work with a large brand like Target. Mm. Also, you know, designed products and I I did all the technical work that was involved in it and I understood how to um, make repeats and create patterns and produce CADs for manufacturers. So it it definitely prepared me. Um, The only difference I would say in how it worked out for us is that I still needed Ojoy and I still needed that time and that growth that I had to then be able to go and pitch to Target, which is what I did, to go to pitch Target and prove my ability to be able to have a successful line there. Um, so yes, that, that that last job for sure, it sort of um, made me know what was involved, but I still, I still needed what I had developed over time to be able to go and really land that project. So after having done those products at Target back in 2000 and four, 2003, 2004, 
And I said, oh man, I want to have a product line someday. And so after I was started freelancing and got my freelance business um, off the ground and things were going fine with that, I, I thought in 2007, I said, this is the time for me to do my own line. However, it costs a lot of money to manufacture a line. Mm-hmm. So for me, doing stationery felt like the cheapest that I could do. Paper, right? Like what's cheaper than a note card of all the products <laughs> However, I mean, you still need to spend thousands of dollars to produce a run of 500, 1,000 designs of, or units of each piece. And then you need to have so many designs to be able to make it interesting for a retailer and to do trade shows and basically to have a collect, what's considered a collection. Mm-hmm. And so I put myself in credit card debt. I spent every money that came in through my freelance work. I spent it on the product line and it was I didn't have investors. It's not like I was like, I just was using my own money. And so, but you run out of money. And so for me, it was partially that, but then it was also like, okay, once you get all these cards in, you have to stick them in envelopes. You have to stick them in plastic sleeves. If you get a huge (laughs) order, I got great orders from stores like Anthropology or Kate's Papery or Paper Source and like dream stores. But you then have to also put the price tag on and Mm -hmm. that when you send it to those stores, all they have to do is put on the shelf and log it to their system. So when it's just you, I mean, it was me. I had an intern at the time. My husband was working super long hours. So it would be my intern, my husband, my mom, we would all, they would all come over, sit in our tiny apartment in Philly, um, on the floor, packaging and wrapping and labeling and shipping and all of the stuff. And it was just like, that's the moment where you realize, oh man, this thing that I thought was so glamorous is actually not so glamorous. Yeah. That happens all the time. My my day to day is not glamorous at all, and people only see the small small fraction that appears to be. <laughs> yes. If you are spending a ton of time on the non glamorous stuff and you don't enjoy it, that's when you know. Okay, it's time to figure out how I can do this differently, and that's when the shift to licensing made sense for me because then I could focus on design, focus on concepting, focus on making the stuff I want to make, but have a partner who is then manufacturing it, producing it, shipping it, selling it and handling customer service. And I mean, everything in my life has been figuring it out. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think that that's how you get to them. That's how you accomplish your goals. Because what I find is that a lot of people want to do something, but they're like, wait, but I didn't go to school for it. Or I don't actually know how to do that. Or is there a book I can read about it? And like, yes, of course, there are books you can read. There are courses you can take in these days, e-courses. So learn everything you need to learn. But at the end of the day, you have to just decide you're going to do it. And because once you commit to it, you will figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um like with the stationary line, when we actually did manufacture it, I mean, I knew I had to get somebody to print the stuff and I knew that I had to have certain logistics and stuff, but it's not like you can't just Google online who prints <laughs> foil cards. You know, it's not as easy as that, which is why I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by it. But you do a ton of research, you call around, you look in um, different resources and you see who other people use wherever you can find that out. Or you, you know, you do research, you look at the back of other products that are printed and you see what you can find out. And so um, I, I definitely learned every everything along the way because I learned basic things in school and I learned how to use Photoshop and I learned how to design and, um, you know, like the, ba- the basics of mm-hmm. what I think I went to school for, but you don't learn about business and manufacturing and all that. Uh, that's all real world stuff that you have to figure out as you go. And even when I switched from being a traditional graphic designer to being a textile and product designer, I didn't know how technically how to design products in, in the sense of like, I knew I could, and I knew that I had the 
the capabilities to draw a pattern, but I didn't know how to do repeats. I didn't know how to set up products to be manufactured, but you know, I learned, I learned it on the job. The interesting thing and I, that also leads up to my answer for you about Target is that a lot of people think that these opportunities fall in my lap and that because, um, Oh, joy has grown to where it is today that I just get handed deals left and right. And I'm just like fighting them off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what is true back then from day one, even getting my first job, which is still true today is that I go after a lot of it and I pitch a lot of it. Yes. There are some, there are sometimes people that call us and say, Hey, we wouldn't do this with you. Are you interested? But the majority of them, especially the bigger ones are ones that I've gone after because in my brain, I say, I want to have a line with target and then I figure out how to make that happen. Um, so with target, I mean, I had had a relationship with them through social media and I, we had been doing some sponsored content together, but then I basically got an opportunity to, pitch with um, a VP for a very short window of time. The person who had connected me was like, okay, you have tomorrow morning from <laughs> 930 AM. She's going to be at this hotel in LA, put together a deck and go. So oh, did, that's incredible. Oh my gosh. What a good story. Yeah. I didn't have months and months of preparation. I mean, granted in the back of my head, I always knew, but I had to put together a deck super fast and I had a very small window and I was late to the meeting because oh, of no. Traffic. And I got there and I basically pitched myself in like five or 10 minutes with, with a deck. And, you know, that was the very first one, the party one. And then after the first one did well, and I knew that we could do more, I, again, you can't just sit there and wait for them to say, Hey, do you want to do more with us? No, you have to go and say, this did well. I think that we could do more great things together. And so I pitched more stuff and that's when we got our renewal for what came out, started last year, 2016, um, with home decor and baby items. And of course, when you pitch to people, you need to show them that you, it's, you can be the most talented designer ever. There are so many designers that are, have better skills than I do and can, and can produce all kinds of stuff. And so that's the bare basics. Like you need to know that you can do the work. You need to know that you can produce it, but you also need to prove to them that you can sell it and that you can market it. And these days that's why social media is so important because mm -hmm. if you have that on your side, it's, it's even, it's going to help you even more when you are trying to do partnerships like this. And I think that's those two things together are to me, what you need to be able to feel confident about pitching brands is, um, you know, that Matt, that great combination of those two things. Everyone assumes when you grow, you grow bigger with more people and everything. But I really enjoy the size because I also feel like I am setting my hours to hours that are comfortable for me so that I can be there for my family and I can have a normal day and I can still see my kids. And even though I have to work after, you know, after they go to bed more, it still allows me to, to custom create a schedule that is realistic. Um, and so if we were to grow bigger and bigger, it would make it probably harder for me to be able to do that. Yes. And I'm sure you see that too. I mean, let's just say, you know, every, sometimes people are like, don't you want to grow to like a Martha Stewart size? <laughs> you know, would that be amazing? Sure. I would, I maybe then I would, I would be rich and have millions of dollars, but, um, I don't know. I don't really want that. I, I want, I, I'm, I love my career. I love my business. I love what we're doing, but I also want to be home by four 30 every day. I don't know that I would be allowed to do that if my company was the size 
that it needed to be to have more employees. And so you never know. I'm, I'm never going to say never because you just don't know what's going to happen in the next year or five years or 10 years. But I feel very happy with the size that we are at right now. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, my name is Jane, and I run A Taste of Cocoa, which is an Austin-based food and travel blog, and I'm very honored to be on stage today and also be able to speak in front of everyone. You know, I didn't grow up one day, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a creator, influencer, I want to take over the state. That was definitely not my little childhood dream. My little childhood dream was to become a librarian. I had yes. big, big aspirations. Um, that didn't pan out, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I grew up in a really small town of 10,000 people, Port Lavaca, South Texas. Anyone familiar with South Texas? <laughs> Very small area. And growing up, I was always surrounded by everyone that knew exactly what they wanted to do. And they were always great at everything. And I just wasn't good at anything through <laughs> grade school, even to college. And to the moment I moved to Austin and being in such a big campus and big city, I just felt really lost and alone. Something happened in 2010 when I was like, okay, I have to take charge of my life because from here on out, it's only going to be me and I have to take care of me. 
And I was reading a couple of national blogs by women, and I was like, this is so cool. They've built these websites. They write about things that they're interested in. I want to do that. So I got on Google and Googled how to build a website. And I built my first website. I dreamed up the name A Taste of Coco, because my last name is Co. And I originally started as a recipe blog because I loved baking. It was something that I loved doing when I was little. And I had no readership for two years. And I'm not sure why I kept going because it's quite discouraging to be writing to nobody. It's like no one cares. <laughs> and I, I think two years then I had a restaurant that reached out to me and said, hey, uh, found your food blog. Would you be interested in coming in? I was like 21, 22. So getting invited by a restaurant to come eat for free food is a really big deal. When you're living on 99 cent chicken nuggets on campus, I was like, yeah, I'd love to come write about the food, eat the food, and not have to do the dishes. That sounds like the best situation ever. And I wrote one restaurant review and just started doing more and more. And now in the last 11 years, I've been to hundreds of restaurants and I taste of cocoa. I kind of became this... Thing. Like, it's still very odd to me when I'm out and about and they're like, oh my gosh, you're a taste of coke or you're that girl on TikTok. And I'm right. like, yes, I have made it cool on TikTok <laughs> the last couple of months. But no, this is not something I ever, I didn't have like a strategy or I don't think I've ever been like the smartest person in the room. But I think along the way, I've been very resourceful. Mm, that's awesome. I'm curious, um, I'm thinking through the lens of what I started this day with Jane, uh, talking about this idea of community. And so much of what you do is about building a community of people who you will never actually meet in person. Uh, can you, and I know that we have people in the room who are wanting to build digital communities in the same way that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about how you did that and how you continue to do that and sort of grow it into something greater? I think it's just been baby steps. Like I kind of look at the last 11 years, like every single day I build a couple of bricks. And I think in the last couple of years, a lot of people have been like, oh my gosh, you've been an overnight success. And I'm like, no, this is 11 years. Right. 11 years, about 90 to 100 hours a week. I'm not kidding. Like even when I self-published my book and I remember I was like fulfilling orders on New Year's Eve, like 400 books, hand wrapping them because the stores had ran out. And I was like, oh, this is a low moment. Let's make sure we never get to this moment again. <laughs> and we're going to work smarter, not harder. But when I think about along the way, like I said, I came from a really small town, only child, female, family immigrated here. Like I never had a sense of community. I was very shy, didn't have a lot of like self-confidence or courage. But I think for moving here from Austin and like gradually like sharing one story after another. And like, I started my brand, A Taste of Coco, in the kitchen of these restaurants. Like I used to sit on the counter in the restaurant with these chefs and just watch them cook. And they would like, let me eat out of the pan, which is probably not health department allowed. But <laughs> that's how I started sharing stories. And when I think about my brand, it's not necessarily about me. And it was actually never meant to be about me. It was meant to be a platform for me to share other local businesses and other local restaurants. And I think I don't know the strength of my own voice and my platform, my community. And I think that applies for all of us until when you ask for help. And I think a lot of us have said we don't know how to ask for help. And I'm very much a self-starter. I don't like asking for help. I'm like, I'll just do it. I'll do it on New Year's Eve at 2 a.m. because who else is going to be wrapping books here with me um, <laughs> while everyone's out drinking champagne? So during lockdown, when all the restaurants and businesses were forced to close and thousands of service industry workers were laid off, I had hundreds of restaurant owners and service industry reach out to me that first week and said, 
what do I do? I just lost my job and I have three kids at home or I'm a restaurant owner. I had to lay off 80% of my staff and these people have employed with me for five years now. Like how do I feed them so they can feed their families? And so I rallied with another girlfriend and we launched Hunter for Hospitality, raised $14,000 to provide 4,000 meals to (laughs) laid off service industry workers by purchasing these meals from local restaurants so we could start opening doors. And that was like a little spark I felt like I had. I was like, oh, if I asked my community, some of them listened and there's so much beauty in that. And then in February, when Austin got hit with the winter storm on Valentine's Day weekend, I again kind of heard the cries of the community, but we just didn't know how bad things were until things got really bad. Mm -hmm. And I again rallied with an all-women team because for the crazies, I will work till 3 a.m. trying to put together a massive Excel sheet. And I reached out to 200 restaurants that evening and said, who will open for me in the morning? I will pay you. And the secret is we didn't have any money. I was like, (laughs) I'll figure that out. Like I had a couple of restaurant owners like, Jane, is this like last time when you didn't have money, but then you were like, you have money, so I'll open and you'll just figure it out. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. Find the money, the money always comes. And I've always kind of said like money is the least of the problem because it will come if you're doing something authentically and if you can rally your audience. Yes. And in the first... 12 hours, we raised $20,000. It just came flooding in. And in just a little over a week, we raised $160,000 and provided 40,000 meals to major hospitals, EMS, low-income housing, and to the general community. And I will not take credit for this because it was my community. It was the city of Austin. And I think when you have the right energy and and it comes from a good place, for your community or for yourself, like people will step in and say, I will, I will join you and like, let's help do this together. Gosh, I love, love, love this because yes, it absolutely was a community and it was a city of Austin, but it needs a leader. And I will like be a hundred years old and sort of like barely moving around and I'll still be trying to tell women like, we are the greatest leaders (laughs) because it needed someone to to lead out in that way. And you had already spent so much time investing in these people and showing up for them, meaning online, that you had their trust. So when you raise your hand and you say, guys, let's do something, people want, I believe deeply, people want to help. They want to help, they want to show up, and they don't know how. So that is freaking awesome that you did that. <laughs> Next you. time, call me. I'll, I'll help. And I, uh, can I add something Yeah, of course. Oh my because gosh. I think from after that event happened, so many people, even city council came to me and was like, would you consider joining this? I'm like, no. No interest. Don't want to do city council. That's the much <laughs> of my activists. <laughs> Hopefully don't call me again when there's a natural disaster, but <laughs> like unemployed, un, unpaid employee by the city. But I think what I want to say is there have, like for me, there have been many doors that have been closed. Like I, again, like was not given all these things. Like I have earned every single dollar that I have in my bank account. And it started from a very, very small amount. I started doing my blog full time in 2015. And this is a story that most people do not know. And I have only shared it maybe a handful of times is I was working actually at a company in 2014 and 2015. Worked 80 hours for the company, loved the company, loved the mission. However, super toxic environment. And when I think back to this one, I'm like, 
thank goodness this moment happened. So what happened was I started getting some recognition from organizations and brands who were like, hey, will you come and talk to our company about how you built your personal brand? One of those companies was Whole Foods for their global team. So it was pretty big freaking deal for me at the age of 24. And when I went to back to the office the next day, my boss asked me to come to the conference room. And, you know, you're kind of expecting like, oh, congratulations, big deal. Instead, he was like, I have worked too hard up this corporate ladder to get to where I am. It's not fair that you have been granted all the success at such a young age and the city might consider you a leader, but you will never be a leader. <gasps> Okay. And this is from a much older white male. Right. And love those, <laughs> yes. And when I think back and I'm like, thank you for saying that because I have worked so hard to prove not just him, but so many other people along the way that were like, you can't do this. Why are you doing this? You can't do this. You can't be a leader. Like, just prove them wrong and keep on going. Yeah. Love that. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org. I was traveling a lot all over Texas, living in Motel 6s, trying cases, and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I was so happy to be back in Austin. It was the late 90s, looking out the window that was right behind me at a little seafoam green motel. And back then, South, there was nothing on South Congress. There was a couple of businesses open, no cars on this street, just, it was crickets. And, but there was this little seafoam green motel that looked empty, pretty much. I kept wondering about it, and I kept thinking that would be so cool to run a motel. I, you know, a lot of times I've been, I've done things that I didn't, I did them because I didn't know. Mm -hmm. If I'd known how hard it was, I might not have done it, but, um, that was one of them. Yeah. So I, ended up, I thought I could just go to the bank and get a loan. And I thought, I'm smart. This will be fine. And I, like, banks thought it was a terrible idea <laughs> to open a motel on South Congress because it was basically like hookers and junkies and nobody was really going to want to go stay And it's South worth Congress. saying, because we have people watching this from all over the world, uh, if you're not familiar, it is, is probably the most famous street in our town. Um, I it was say, not then. Right. <laughs> and so that's what I want you to understand is this was real vision. It's like where the boutiques are, where the restaurants are. It's the cool place to be. It is hopping right now on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. But to have the vision back then, did you think the street could be something? I you don't know that I had motel. the vision back okay. then. I really, it was smaller. And, you know, it was, I thought maybe I could redo this 24-room hotel room by room and uh, that, you know, I could charge 75 bucks a night and that, people that were coming to Austin or lived in the neighborhood might want to stay there. It, it turned out to be a terrible idea, by the way, because to raise the rent to 75 bucks, what I didn't, didn't occur to me at the time is that people that are paying those rates are looking for a Motel 6, right, on the highway. It's like mom and pop in a van or whoever it is traveling along. 
and they're gonna see billboards or they're gonna be parts of, part of a rewards program, they're not gonna get off the highway and travel into downtown Austin to sleep next to the crack dealer in the other room, right? Oh my it was a bad plan. Yeah. In other words, I don't know where I was going to get the marketing dollars to convince them of that. Right. Yeah. When I when we first started, I I decided that I didn't want to hire anybody that had any hotel experience, also good and bad. Um. But and now I look for people with hotel experience. <laughs> but I'm I'm still convinced that if you understand hospitality and you understand how to anticipate somebody's needs, you can learn the hotel business, but um, we do need people that actually understand a few things right. about uh, rooms. But I, you know, to me, it was, uh, it was just interesting. It was like I wanted the, the best places I've stayed and the best experiences I've had in hotels were where were totally immersive ones. And so that was sort of natural, like thinking about what color is, what's the soundtrack, what's the smell, what's yeah. the, you know, it, it's really about storytelling. My timing was good with the San Jose on South Congress. Things were starting to move. Austin was growing. And so, you know, at first we got a couple of comment cards like, can I curse? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, um, I, like we put comment cards in the rooms and one of the first ones was, this is the most fucking expensive garage I've ever stayed in. <laughs> because... <laughs> framed that. I think I still have it. Okay. Because we had concrete floors, right? And so there weren't many hotels. There yeah. wasn't a thing, you right. know? Right. So, um, <laughs> you, like, I think that when it was, you know, it was definitely a struggle in the beginning. There were actually two investors that started to, I got in, you know, back and forth with, and I had to really, um, I don't, that's a longer story. <laughs> um, I think when people started approaching me and asking me to do other projects, it's when I was like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing, or at least even though I don't, I'm curious enough to figure it out and I can, I can figure it out. I mean, I've always thought I can figure this out. So again, surrounded myself with really good people that I trusted. I don't think there's any way to scale up unless you have people on your team that you absolutely trust to do something, to answer any question or do things in your absence. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes time and it takes time to find those people. But once you do, it makes uh, it so much more, you're so much more able to do more. Right. And, you know, I learned as I went. I've, I've never stopped. I mean, at any given day, I'm reading and thinking and uh, trying to learn about the business and how we could do it differently or what is it I really want to do. Yeah. Sometimes growth for growth's sake isn't so great, you know, and I kind of fell into that trap for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of everyone going, this is great. Keep yeah, going. Keep Make going, it right? bigger. Yeah. 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 And, and never, and you just react rather than be proactive. Right. You know, and right. it's, it's flattering at first when things, people are coming with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I'm telling you, in the hotel business, you will look at 20 or 30 projects before one of them really goes. Mm. So there's a lot of just chasing. Let's talk about what we're actually going to discuss today, which is my secrets to success. If forced to come up with five things that I think have contributed the most to my success, what are those? 
the reason I wanted to do this episode and not something that was like how to make a million dollars is because when we only identify a financial success, we're missing a much greater picture. So me five years ago would have been like I would have had such a boner for how to make a million dollars. Like, how do I do that? What do I do? I would have been so into that idea. But then I experienced my first year where I independently, without any other resource, made over a million dollars. And you guys have heard me talk about it. It was the worst year of my life. And the next year was even more successful, like astronomically so. And it was even worse. It depleted every single part of my being. It it was the worst. It was just the worst, hardest two years. From the outside looking in, the success was just madness. But from the inside, none of it felt good. And it's one of those things that I don't know if you can really truly appreciate until you're in it. So maybe you will have to get in it. You'll have to hit your financial goal before you realize that truly that number is not what's going to make you happy. But today I want to speak to you as the woman I am now, not the woman who was chasing money back in the day. I am going to talk about financial success, but I'm just not only going to talk about that. And I'm using the word success because what I think is so beautiful is that success is different for each and every one of us. Before you pursue success, you better know what it is you're trying to gain. But let me tell you what success looks like to me. Success looks like I make my own schedule. I do work on my terms. I am working right now in my den. I'm sitting crisscross applesauce you know, drinking coffee, wearing an old band tee. This is my office. I literally sit here and I journal or I, you know, work on the computer. I come up with ideas or I read books. But this is a huge piece of my success is that I'm doing work that I love and I'm doing it on my terms. But that being said, here are five things that I think were huge components to me having the success I have today. Number one, I have always, always had big goals for myself. Always. I have always had big goals. And I think probably the difference between me and other people is that from the t- for as long as I can remember, from the time I was a child, it never occurred to me that I couldn't achieve a goal. I have massive belief in myself and my abilities. And I would say that most of my friends or the people I've met on the podcast who have achieved really big goals would tell you something very similar. They would say that they focused on the goal. They didn't obsess over like how. They just obsessed over what. The second thing that I believe is a big reason I have financial success. I knew if I did this whole list and I didn't talk about finances, you guys are going to be bummed. So there was something that a salesperson said once that fundamentally changed 
the way I pursued revenue in my business. And I think this is true whether you own a business or you work for someone else and you have a side hustle. This is really important. I did not become financially independent from one source of revenue. I became financially independent from multiple streams of revenue. This salesperson said, we're not looking for a dollar. We're looking to stack dimes. And I was like, what? She was like, we're not trying to hustle for a million dollar deal. That would be amazing. But right now, let's not focus on a million dollar deal. Right now, let's focus on stacking dimes. Let's figure out how to have multiple streams of revenue that equal a million dollars. When you are first trying to figure out how to gain financial independence or how to grow your revenue or how to grow your personal wealth or how to pay off debt, thinking in terms of multiple streams is huge. Okay, the third thing that I did that I feel like was huge, was huge in me getting to a place where I have success in business, as a content creator, as an author, as all of it, was, you've heard me talk about this a billion times, a willingness to fail. So many of you are not pursuing your ideas, your creative inspiration, the potential that you believe you have in your heart. So many of you are not pursuing that because you're afraid you're going to fail. And not only am I not afraid of failing, but I have in so many ways. I failed financially. I failed as a leader. I failed publicly. I failed as a parent, a friend, a sister, a human, all of it. But the difference between high achievers And people who don't ever achieve much is that high achievers look at failures as like knowledge. There's there's wisdom there. There's hard-earned wisdom. There's information about how to do it better the next time. There's information about what went wrong. There's so much detail in those moments because you learn how to navigate around them the next time. So people are either terrified of failing once or they fail and they think that that's their answer. They think that everyone else had this clear and easy path from the starting line to the top of the mountain. It's just not true. Every single person that you admire has a list of failures a mile long. The difference is that we were willing to acknowledge them to face them head on, to look at it and go, okay, how do I fix this? How do I do better? How do I learn from this? How do I grow from this? And how do I use this as my platform for where we go from here? So just understand that failure is intrinsically tied to success. Four, I evolved. Remember I told you that I had one through line, one thing, which is an audience that I communicate with for a decade I storytell to this audience and I share ideas that I think will be helpful. That has never changed, but the way I storytell has changed constantly, constantly. People could look at my career and be like, wait a minute, she was a food blogger, she had cookbooks, she wrote romance, 
She wrote women's fiction. Then all of a sudden she started speaking on stages. Then all of a sudden she wrote these self-help books. Now she's throwing conferences. Now she has a podcast. Then she did a Quibi show. I've written scripts. I've written songs. Like you could very easily look at my career and be like, this is madness. This chick keeps changing what she's doing. Like what, who is she? What is she? Y'all, I'm a storyteller. The way I storytell has evolved because years ago, I looked at every single person that I admired and I was like, they all evolve. The last thing that I think has contributed greatly to my success is I have always maintained an attitude of a student. I have always stepped into situations like, what can I learn? I am reading more today than I did a decade ago, and I was reading a lot a decade ago. I am a voracious learner. I keep this mentality of this eager student, and I do think that that is where I get ideas from. That's where my creativity gets filled up. It's where I learn about people who are doing interesting things, and then I reach out, or I'll see something in my research that I'm like, oh, I would love to have this person come on the podcast. Like that feeds everything. And I would not be who I am or where I am if I didn't have that learner's mentality, that student mentality. And if you're not constantly feeding the well, you're not going to see anything bigger than the life you are currently living. This idea of goals, that's from being a student. This idea of stacking dimes, a willingness to fail, constantly learning, like all of those things are the result of this mentality. Just when you think you understand your metrics and how to deliver impact, everything has changed. And it can be scary for sure. And my instinct is to go into the fear monger you know, mode of like, oh my God, what is happening? But I always remind myself in the worst situations, the best things can come from it. Like, and it doesn't ever feel real, right? And in that moment, it doesn't feel like it. So I look at our content and I said, okay, like when we all went into quarantine, that first couple of weeks, everyone was like, they wanted to be empowered. Our content was doing great. Um, And then it's just, you know, the world started to change, obviously with the murder of George Floyd. Like there's so many things that changed week after week. And I'm just trying to navigate. I mean, I'm about to be 41, Rach. And, (laughs) you know, just when you think that you can get comfortable, it's like you can't. And I try to find the beauty in that. I try to find the beauty in the challenge versus the frustration in it because I automatically go to the frustration. So just from a company standpoint, um, yeah, it's every week trying to assess, like, how is our content doing? Are we resonating with people what are people looking for how have people's behaviors changed um what is impact look like today um but then also on the other side i always ask myself what do you actually want lisa are you happy lisa you know when you build a business and you've especially been building it for so long and you put so much time and effort in i never want to be that person that's like well i guess i'm all in so i i got to keep going it's like no even if you gave five years of your life, even if you gave up, you sacrificed, you have to keep reassessing. Are you actually doing what you still love? Does the world, you know, the way the world is now, are you still enjoying it? Do you 
still wake up every day energized. It's important to ask yourself those questions. You know, so I'm kind of going through a bit of that assessment now and go, do I still love it? What does impact look like now? Um, how much time, energy am I willing to dedicate? And I'm coming back to the answer. Yes, I do want to impact. Yes. I'm willing to give it my all, but I have to ask myself that. And I'm doing that more. If you want to talk about business, like we started Quest in 2009, like the worst freaking time where right. people were like, hang on a minute, right. not only are you starting a business in like when the economy is completely crashed, you're starting a business in something that isn't a necessity, right? Protein bars, no one needs a protein right. bar and they're not cheap because of the quality that we were producing them at. Um, and you're going into manufacturing. Like manufacturing is like, what are you doing? Go into tech. Um, so everyone was like, are you crazy? But it's like, we believed in what we were doing. We had a vision of what we were doing and we were true to um, who we were. So any business, anything that people are trying to navigate, like first things first, stay true to who you are. And next thing is believe in what you're doing. So um, we've always had a you know very audacious goal to build the next Disney so we're yep. still on that path um but we were in we started with comic books so we were using we were having designers you know we had writers and we were creating graphic novels and the graphic novels were a stepping stone in order for us to gain momentum get people to love the story then go out and sell the IP or do deals with Netflix or a studio that was our game plan now, the second we go into quarantine, what happens? The only distribution of comics goes under. Right. So initially, they announced... I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they announced a Whoa. hold. They're like, oh, we're just... There's, so there's a monopoly on distribution. One company has it. It's a whole lot of story, but one wow. company has it. We go into quarantine. Of course, all mom and pop comics bookstores shut. Um, the distribution, they go, okay, guys, we're putting everything on hold. It's just going to be a couple of months. And, of course, a couple of weeks later, you hear, oh, we actually can't pay everyone that we owe. So the next thing you hear is, well, hang on. If no one can distribute, then the comic book stores that are even closed cannot even sell anything, even when they open. So the comic wow. book industry like that died, like that. So, oh my God, what are we going to do? This is our entire business model, Rage, right? to get into movies and television, to build the next studio, and poof, gone. Um, so we're like, well, what do we do? So Tom immediately goes, okay, well, this is like, you know, um, it's what? Is, how can this be the best thing that's ever happened to us? It's purely right. perspective. So we switched off that side. Instead of going, oh my God, we can't sell comics. Oh my God, what are we going to do? We just go, cool, what's the best thing? That, how can this be the best thing? So we start looking at digital right? The digital market, it wasn't big, like at least that we had done the research. And then all of a sudden, Rach, we found Webtoons. And I don't know if you know what Webtoons is, and I'm not sure if your audience cares, but it's basically a, think of Instagram for comic books. So it's a scroll. Oh, it's, cool. You pick someone's story and the whole story, you just scroll on your finger. Oh, now, wow. This means where printable comic books if you had a success these days maybe you sell twenty thousand copies as a success like that's like the biggest oh my god batman just sold twenty thousand copies of one issue that's a success on webtoons ready views on the top gets 30 million views so just looking at a business model right like as for your audience to listen it's like everything everyone's doing you think it's the path but what mm -hmm. if it's not? What if this actually is an amazing opportunity for you to discover a new path that you wouldn't have seen if this hadn't happened? No one 
has authorization to control my mindset except for me. And so when I think about that and I think I, I can naturally um, fall into the woe is me, oh my God, this sucks, like what is happening to the world? Like I can easily fall into that, which is why I always remind myself that I have the choice. I have the choice on how I respond. I have the choice on what perspective I look through, right? What lens I'm choosing to use. Like that is my choice. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that people don't have just the utmost excruciating things that they have to deal with, but how they emotionally show up is a choice. And once I take ownership for that, to me, that is the most beautiful thing. Like that is the most freeing thing a person can possibly tell me. So um, that's why I love repeating that because while in a world where things are not in our control, I feel like I need to have something that I can control. Um, as you know, I was a housewife um, for eight years and I just want to say like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a housewife. Like it can be the most beautiful choice a human can make I didn't make that choice. I fell into it and I didn't want to be. And so my culture being very Greek, very traditional, um, I'd kind of been um, coached, if you will, to turn into that. And so I didn't realize I didn't want it until eight years had gone, you know, I was miserable, I wasn't happy. And so I realized, okay, well, in order to build the life I actually want, I have to actually do something about it. Like I cannot just sit at home waiting for my husband to come home and fill my life with joy like that's not fair on him that's not fair on our relationship and that's not fair on me so I I have to act I have to take ownership and so that has been like a 15 year journey of how do I do that how do I identify things and a lot of people I think um people have their own like um struggles for me it was emotion it was the second I would feel emotional it would warp how I would think it would overtake my body I would say things that I didn't mean I would say things that I would regret and I started to go is this the life I want is am I the human that I really dreamed I wanted to be and the answer was no and so over time building quests I started quest forced me to look nakedly at my inadequacies and nakedly so that there's nothing that's tricking you right it's like mm. but look at it and go okay I'm bad here, I'm very bad here, but the great news is I can get better if I want to. And it's that shift in mindset that honestly takes me from not believing in myself at all to believing I can accomplish anything. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org.